Welcome to Lady Bits in Leadership, a brave space where women come together to share stories about our bodies, our sexuality, and motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Vogel, and my mission in life is helping women feel less alone, process their trauma, and build the lives they desire. So if you're ready to join a community of women who have found their voices, who have become liberated from shame and reclaim their power, then you're in the right place, girl. You found us. We're so happy you're here. Hey, guess what? I have a secret. I'm hosting a slumber party. Okay, I get it. I'm on global podcast, not a secret anymore. But we're just going to pretend like it's secret because it's more fun. I'm hosting a slumber party in January 2023, and you are invited. Now, what is a slumber party? Girl, you know what a slumber party is, okay? We're dressing comfy, we're eating all the snacks, and we're talking all the shit. So just keep your eyes peeled for social media. I'll be dropping more information soon, but just get excited, okay? New year, new me. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're doing that, but mostly we're just coming into our power, we're creating community, and we're talking about lady bits, so get excited, girl. It's on its way. On today's episode, we have Carrie Oberlin, who I was lucky enough to meet in sex ed class. She is absolutely fantastic, and I adore her so much. She's a therapist and the owner of A New Leaf Therapy. She is a mom to a bunch of wild animals. So if you ever go on her Facebook or her Instagram page, she is a mama to raccoons. <laughs> so some of you are like, I'm sorry, feral ass raccoons. I know, but she makes these raccoons looks so freaking cute so you got to check her out on instagram she also about every week puts out these beautiful photos that teach you about mental health and about therapy and about different things to consider as it relates to wellness speaking of wellness she is on a self-care sabbatical right now from her practice and i just have to say how much I appreciate that and that she's open about it. We're full into the holiday season at this point and the holidays are a really tough time for those who have lost family members. The holidays can be a hard time. Being around toxic systems of family can be a really hard time for people not having anyone um, anymore. If you are a widower or if you are an essentially an orphan child, um, breaking up during the holidays. I mean, there's just so much sadness that often comes in conjunction with the fairy tale of the holidays. And so what Carrie has done is taken this time to reflect, to focus on finding herself. And I think especially for those who work in the mental health field, especially those who work in helping professions. This is so hard for us to do sometimes. I took a self-care sabbatical about two months ago. I took three weeks off of work and really just focused on doing nothing. That was my only goal was learn how to do nothing because I was going, going, going. My whole identity was wrapped up in the work that I was doing, both in Lady Bits and Leadership, my work outside of that, my work as a mother, my work as a wife. I was looking at mothering and wifing as work. I mean, it was just twisted. And what I needed to do was take time to take care of myself. And so what Carrie does is spread the message that self-care is not selfish. Finding out who you are, rediscovering who you are at different points in your life is not a selfish act. 
it is something that absolutely must be done if you are to move forward and be able to help people. And that is something that Carrie does so well. She helps people every single day as a therapist and she provides so much reassurance and so much joy and so much light for those who are really struggling. So on today's episode, we talk all about arousal non-concordance. So when our bodies and our minds aren't really in agreement about whether or not we want to move forward with a sexual act, we talk a lot about how laundry has to do with sexual intercourse. So just keep your ears peeled for that one. Um, But really what we talk about is how do we get in the mood? And if we're not in the mood, why is that so? If we feel pain with sex, why is that so? We talk about safety in sex. There's so much goodness in this episode. There, I mean, it's it really is a healing episode, and I'm so happy to share this with you during the holiday season. So without further ado, let's welcome Carrie Oberlin to Lady Bits and Leadership. But before we start this episode, I have to put a quick plug in for my girl, Kelsey Audison Viegas of Auto Books. Listen, if you're a business owner of a small or large business, you do not have time to be doing your own books. No one has time for QuickBooks except for my girl, Kelsey. So if you want to be focused on building profits in your business rather than tooling over all this Excel spreadsheets and different queries of QuickBooks, then our girl is for you. You can find out more about Kelsey and her bookkeeping solutions at O. O-T-T-O-B-O-O-K-S-L-L-C.com. That's O-T-T-O-B-O-O-K-S-L-L-C.com. Carrie Oberlin, welcome to Lady Bits and Leadership. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here. So Carrie and I met in sex, well, in the SAR. So the sexual attitudes reassessment, Carrie is a sex therapist in, or a therapist that specializes in trauma, sex, and borderline personality disorder. She's in Ohio. So if any of our listeners are in Ohio, look her up. Even if you're not in Ohio, look this lady up. She is fantastic. She's a wealth of knowledge. And as soon as we were in a small group together and we were talking about all things sexy, I was like, this woman needs to be on the pod making this happen so much making me blush oh my gosh well I hope this podcast makes everyone blush all the time because we do talk about lady bits and unfortunately we live in a society that still continues to shame us about our lady bits continues to tell us it's something we should be kept secret that we shouldn't talk about it and you and I are just over here just smashing all that down exactly I want everyone to be able to feel and genuinely believe that how they are in this present moment is deserving and worthy of love. Their needs are not too much. Their needs are exactly what they are. Just beings. I love that. I love that. So I wanted to start by asking you how you came to this practice. How did you become a therapist? How did you decide that sex and trauma was something that you wanted to help people through? So I originally started my college journey as a nurse and One year in, I actually failed a class by 1.5%. You had to have a 78 to pass. I think I got a 76.5. And at the time, I had already realized I wasn't exactly happy with that. Uh, No offense, I love people, but don't want to touch you. (laughs) And so there was a big moment when I got to talk to a family friend and she asked, have you ever considered social work? And like everyone, I did the, I don't want to take people's kids. And she's like, not what social work is. (laughs) And so I had this really intense moment where I had to make a decision and I 
went for it. And I was very lucky to have learned under some amazing, amazing people that were in the field at my associate's bachelor's and my master's level. And so I think meeting them, meeting most importantly, my clients, I would not be a third of the therapist I am today without them because it's one thing to learn about things in school and in college, but people are not textbooks. And in school, people come in with one issue. Well, in real life, Johnny doesn't just have anxiety. Johnny has childhood trauma. Johnny has sexual dysfunction that is resulting from said childhood trauma. It's impacting his relationship. It's impacting his weight. It's, mm. It is so much more than that. And so what initially drove me to trauma and sex is I kind of got into it by accident. I started where I'm at currently as an intern. And I guess over time, I spent my first nine months as an intern, then thankfully was hired on. And I noticed that I did really well with clients who did have a really severe, heavy uh, childhood trauma load. And so for those individuals who are survivors, my main focus was just making them feel like they were normal and they were validated mm -hmm. and with trauma and especially with individuals diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, there's this big conception of you are over emotional and you need to rationalize those emotions. My approach has been don't rationalize them, feel them. And let me show you how I can do that without hurting yourself or lashing out at other people, because I don't think we can rationalize our emotions. We, we need to feel them. Absolutely. And I feel like oftentimes when we're talking about gender and the impact and the intersections with mental health, women are often told that regardless of whether they're diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or not, it's like you're being too emotional or it, oh, what is it that time of the month? Like you're just so like, why are you crying all the time? And then when it comes to trauma too, you know, I think they're, what I see a lot is like, why don't people just get over it? Why are they still struggling through it? And oftentimes the work that needs to be done is feeling the feelings to go through that process. And like you said, analyze them and, um, and better understand them so that you can have empathy for yourself and learn the coping mechanisms needed for the life that you have. Absolutely. Because the end goal isn't to learn all of the coping mechanisms for life is to create a life for yourself that takes less coping. And if you are reliving something over and over again, we are doomed to repeat what we don't repair. And so unfortunately, a lot of people find themselves stuck in this really nasty cycle and they can't seem to get themselves out of it. And it becomes a, an endless cycle of, wow, I'm worthless. It must be me. It must be me. And unfortunately, I've heard some very sad stories from clients who have had experiences with mental health professionals, not just social workers or therapists, but in all areas who have almost reinforced that belief that they were exaggerating or that they were crazy. No, we don't allow those words in my office because my clients are some of the most amazing and strong people I've ever met. They have been through some of the most intense things people can ever imagine. And yet they choose to be loving. And that yeah. really what makes this job worth it for me is the moment I see one of my clients eyes light up because they're talking about something they love and it has nothing to do with our trauma treatment, nothing to do with what they're working on. They're just talking about something like an art project, something they're really excited about. And suddenly there's magic in their eyes. I see dimples I didn't know were there. People who never smile, they actually show me a genuine smile. And those are the moments that I'm like, I love what I do. 
because I know they don't see it yet. And my job is to wake them up so someday they can. Oh, I love that so much. I like already, I'm going to just pull that quote out and throw it on social media to promote this just because helping people wake up to the power within them is something that you and I, I think immediately connected on. You do it through a therapeutic lens. I do it through an activist educator lens. And I think in the work that we do is so aligned with that sense of that deep empowerment and belief in your body and belief in your mind and belief in yourself and your ability to value your life and live the life that you want to live, design it for yourself. Um, I want to dive into, I want to dive into sex girl. Let's do this. Let's do this. Where would you, where do you want to start me out? Uh, I mean, I kind of want to stop, start with arousal non-concordance because when I read this, when I heard this in our sex educator training, um, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. So let's start there because some people might be listening and they're like arousal non-concordance. What are you talking about? So why don't you, in your best summarization, give us an understanding of what that means and why it's important. Yes. And I'm going to do my best because therapists have a reputation for using annoyingly big words and I don't like to do that. And so the best way I can explain arousal non-concordance is your brain and your body aren't on the same page with sex. And so I actually, I forgot, I drew a little diagram for us on my tablet so I could pull this up for this. Oh, I love this. <laughs> and so there are two different aspects. I'm not sure how well you, we can see it. Okay, there I'm we not, go. There are two different aspects that will make up arousal. And so there is sexual relevance. And so sexual relevance is simply put body response to nerve stimulation. Okay. I brush my fingers against my arm. I get goosebumps, you know. Someone blows on the back of my neck and I do that thing where I give myself like a quadruple chin because I hate that. (laughs) So it is simply your nerves responding to being stimulated. And so that can be, as I said, goosebumps. That can be uh, for individuals with a penis, that can be an erection. For individuals with a vagina, that can mean vaginal wetness. It can mean swelling around the clitoris, around the labia. And so all that means is someone stimulated my nerves. That's it. And so on the other end, we have sexual enjoyment. And what sexual enjoyment is, it is the brain piece of the puzzle. And so number one, consent. Mm -hmm. The person willingly, excitedly, joyfully said yes. And I want to make this very, very clear. If it is not a loud and proud yes, it Mm -hmm. is a no. And you need to respect that. Mm, I love that so much. Yes. And it it is something I really want everyone to gather from this. Even if you remember nothing else, please remember that you are the expert on your body and you are not, no one is entitled to you. No one's entitled to your body. And one of my favorite things, I know I wrote it down later, but uh, no one's genitals are so amazing that they're going to heal your childhood trauma. So keep that in mind when someone's trying to pressure you, you have every right to say no. Yeah. You and I are a hundred percent, a thousand percent on that page. And I think the idea of affirmative consent continues to be lost. It must be affirmative to say yes in a tone that's like, I guess, or yes, is not a yes. It's not a yes, people. And so the more that we can emphasize that you should fully want to engage in this and that your body and what you are saying, because you should be communicating verbally if you're able to, should be saying that enthusiastically. Exactly. And 
that is not to say sex isn't awkward and uncomfortable for everyone sometimes. And so honor and respect that no one's first time is going to be amazing like they make it in the movies. Don't even get me started on porn yet and the expectations that puts on a lot of people for how they should be performing. Mm -hmm. Um, But also along with sexual enjoyment, we have mental engagement and emotional engagement. And so Mm. if you are engaged in sex with your partner and you find yourself going, wow, I got to pick up the kids from school at this time. I got to get the laundry done. I should, oh, I got to, you know, email Bill back. Got to give a phone call back to Stacy. You are not mentally present. You are not engaged in the, in the act that is going on. It's the whole idea of mindfulness. Are you present in the moment that's currently happening in front of you? Or have we floated away a bit and are lost in our own brains? Uh, Can we talk about that for a second? (laughs) Asking for a friend, of course. Yes. I feel like after having a baby, it's not asking for for a friend. It's for me, obviously. (laughs) But um, after having a baby, mm, although I think this probably happened before, there's been plenty of times where I'm just like, I'm in it. I love my husband. We've been together 12 years. I love having sex with him. He's fantastic. He's always very focused on my pleasure, which I am very much like, I know I'm in a very healthy relationship, but there have been times when like we're engaging in sexual intercourse and I'm like, and I, my mind floats away. And I don't know if that's my ADD, you know, that I was recently diagnosed with. And, but it certainly, it certainly doesn't give him my best sexual self, you know, and it's not my best for me either. Um, what do you you have any advice for someone who finds themselves like in a sexual situation where their mind is floating away constantly? They have their checklist to do. I I'm still consenting. Like, let's not, let's not get this twisted. I'm totally still consenting. I just am not really there. And after having a kid, I found that to be the case more and more. And it often led to like, oh, I just want to get this done with, which is an awful feeling, you know? Um, So what advice or thoughts might you be able to give someone to consider who may be experiencing something like this as well? One of the saddest but most accurate descriptions I've heard of that uh, phenomenon is the cat with a scratching post. So one person is the cat in the relationship and the other person is the post and they sit there and hold, hold, hold wait for the person to get done. Okay. Is it over? Good. Okay. And I would say for anyone who is experiencing that, the first thing I want you to do is know one, you are normal. Every individual across the spectrum of gender identity, however long you've been in a relationship, that is, that is very normal because as humans, it's very hard to do anything 100%. I'm sorry, 100% in the moment because we are constantly taught even in our daily lives to multitask. Mm. And so as a fellow woman who has pretty severe ADHD, it is not always easy to be present ever. And so I want to make it very clear, not being present doesn't necessarily indicate trauma. That is a very normal thing. There is a normal level of getting lost in our brains. Some people do it when they're driving. Um, If you're noticing this is happening repeatedly, it is an every time thing. One of the first things I would encourage you is if it's safe for you to do so, communicate that with your partner Mm -hmm. and just be honest. Hey, I have been noticing that when we are having sex, when we're doing X, Y, and Z, my brain is floating away because I'm really overwhelmed by a lot of stuff I have going on along the house. 
And uh, one of my favorite books, as every sex educator's is, is uh, Dr. Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are. And in that book, she talks about the break and accelerator. And so instead of thinking of sex as an on and off switch, we think of it as a break and an accelerator. And so if our break is pushed down because the kid's been screaming, I've been chasing him around forever, and there's laundry laying all over, and I haven't eaten, I haven't been to the bathroom and whatever, I just peed, hubby got home and was like, hey, let's do this. And you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. We are we are really doing ourselves a disservice when we expect ourselves to be this machine that can turn on whenever we want it to. It's, it's oftentimes harder to honor our bodies and respect, ooh, something in my brain or in my body is making it hard for me to want to be here. What is that? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that comes with deeper conversations and longer conversations about if you're overwhelmed, for example, you're, you're using my life, right? Like a little boy, like coming home from work and having to do laundry and cook and stuff. And if it's bringing up those deeper conversations that you need to have with your partner about say the sharing of responsibilities or the, there's something that can is continuing to happen with your partner that you're like, I I really want to bring this up because it's really bothering me, but I'm going to just put it in the back of my mind and avoid it because it's easier to avoid it in the moment than like have the hard conversation. These might be signs if you're, you know, floating away during sexual intercourse that like there's something bigger brewing here. And so having an opportunity to speak with someone like Carrie or like a good friend or with your partner to say, this is what's been on my mind um, is such a good practice. I know that when I'm in the moment being aware of it, like I'm floating away. And recentering and um, grounding myself in the mindfulness or the presence of like, okay, I can't pay my bills right now because I'm like (laughs) knee deep in this experience. But like, so how can I ground myself? And I know for me, grounding myself is like taking a deep breath smelling my husband. Like I love the way he smells. I use my fingers on his back to like dig in and feel his skin and his body. And so those grounding exercises bring me back from like floating up in the air to, oh yeah, this is actually can be really enjoyable if I let it be really enjoyable. And if I really focus my attention here. I absolutely love how you described all of that because it was such a sensory experience. And that is Perfect. That is grounding 101, not just in a sex sense, but in a trauma sense. The more of your senses that you can engage at once, the more likely you are to bring yourself back down from the clouds. Um, Again, as a person with ADHD and who also happens to be on the spectrum, I always describe myself, I am naturally a kite without a string. And so it is very challenging for me, especially when I'm by myself, to have a string pull me back down. And what you said of can I engage? What do I smell? What is around me? What do I taste? What do I hear? What are the physical sensations? What feels good? Um, I would say there are some very common things that will cause people to kind of float away during sex. Uh, number one for a lot of individuals is their di- own discomfort with their own bodies. Mm, so there so may be true. something within themselves that they are not entirely confident about. And when When we don't, it sounds cheesy to say, but when we don't love ourselves, when we're not okay with who we are, having to be vulnerable with another person is hard. Sex is awkward. Bodies are awkward. They fit together weird. And sometimes elbows go and like 
a boob slides in an armpit or something happens and someone gets conked in the nose, like it's, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to not make it so serious. And again, set, uh, porn movies, TV shows, a lot of things we hear are constantly portraying sex as needing to be this extravagant event that is a certain way. When in reality, the more fun you have with it and the less serious you can make it, the easier that is. But if that is not a conversation you can have with your partner, that is also a deeper issue of, are you with someone who is not safe? Because if you are not safe with someone, and when I say safe, I mean, are you emotionally safe with them? Do they validate your emotions or are they constantly cutting you off or waving you away, telling you you're emotional and they physically make you feel safe. And that also does include like the financial security. I trust that, you know, my partner will help out if I need them. And if I ask them, Hey, can you please do it? This they'll do it without giving me a whole lot of attitude. But if you are with someone who you immediately, when I said all those things, you went, no, no, no. It may be time to ask yourself, what am I letting myself be treated like? Because that's not safe. You should always be able to share those kind of things with your partner. And if you can't protect yourself first and you have every right to say, hey, sex is off the table until we can figure out what's going on that is making me feel this way. Yeah. You bring up a really good, so many really good points, but one that I kind of wrote down was first this idea of like, if you are uncomfortable in your body, it's going to be incredibly hard to let, to be uncomfortable naked or at least partially naked with another person. And so do you have any thoughts about if someone has deep seated kind of body image issues, um, where they can start to begin or practices that they can implement to begin healing their relationship and their, their perspective of their body? This is where most people in my office give me the eye roll because the answer isn't fun. It isn't sexy. And most of the time, the answer is sex will be the last topic we get to. Because before we get to sex, we need to discuss, you know, communication. We need to discuss um, how are the chores divvied up around the house. We also need to go back and look at that beautiful piece of childhood trauma because if you are walking around, and I love the description that Dr. Nagoski gives in her book of there's a sleepy hedgehog sitting in your bed and you're trying to pretend it's not there. And you're trying to have sex with this hedgehog stabbing you and you're trying to be like, yeah, it feels great. It's fine. <laughs> and so acknowledge the hedgehog and a lot of times, and this is not abnormal. This is completely healthy. That may mean res- restraining from sex for a long time. And first getting comfortable with masturbating. Mm-hmm. I am oftentimes very surprised how many of my clients share with me. I like, I don't, Gary, I don't do that. Like I've never done that before. Or like, eh, sometimes like I have heard horrible things that people have been told will happen, you know, thanks to the education system, telling them of like what will happen if they masturbate, if they do certain things. And so there's so much shame already packed onto us on top of it. Absolutely. And I think that the masturbation piece is so incredibly important because if you can't even imagine having sex or pleasure, 
with yourself or you haven't explored your body to even know when we were talking earlier about sexual arousal or sexual relevance, when you're, when you feel that tingling feeling, like when you touch your shoulders or the back of your neck or whatever, if you don't know how your body likes to be touched by yourself at least. And obviously we can't touch our bodies in the same way as when you incorporate a partner or more. Um, but to just start there and, and as it starts to bring up, well, what are the messages that are coming up? Because what I've seen a lot, you know, with working with clients as well as talking to students um, and, and others is that there is a piece around that sexual shame that will come from, like you said, the lack of education or poor education or, um, you know, misunderstandings about concepts like virginity or, um, what is it the word that I'm looking for where there's like religious trauma? Oh, that is, that is a topic that I think needs to be more heavily talked about in the therapy field in general, just the amount of clients who report to me having a very, very traumatic negative experience with different types of religion. I'm not just going to say one or the other, but it is, it is very sad. It is very sad to see how many people carry around shame and disgust for themselves when there is nothing wrong with you. And I mean that 100%, there is nothing wrong with how you are. Your main goal should be, do I feel healthy in my body? And if not, what's, what's getting in the way? Is it mental health? Is it, you know, well, like you said, for a lot of people who have had children, is it something of, you know, ever since I had the baby, my body's changed a lot. It's taken a lot for me to get used to. I don't know if I'm there yet honor that let your partner know hey i know you think i'm amazing looking but i'm having trouble with that right now can you i i don't know what's stopping me but can we talk about it and one of the biggest issues i see people get into is they try to rush in back into physical intimacy immediately so they will have one Mm -hmm. conversation about um emotional health they'll have one conversation about divvying up the chores and then they're like, all right, let's go. It's like, hold on a minute. We need to have sustained change. This cannot be something we talk about once. This is a recurring daily upkeep. We can't do the dishes once and expect the dishes are going to be done forever. We can't do laundry once and think we'll never do laundry again. These are discussions and topics that we will constantly be having because just like every area of our lives, we are growing and changing constantly. And so the sexual needs someone has when they are 21 are not the same needs they have when they are 37, when they are 55, when they are 86, like it's, it changes and develops over time. And so it's okay. If one thing that used to really get your motor going now is like, "Mm," but you need to communicate that because I think most people's fear in bringing it up is that, Oh, I don't want to hurt my partner's feelings and make them think they did something. Absolutely. And the other thing that will often come up is I don't even want to know their answer because what if their answer confirms for me, my deepest fears about myself, you know, when I ask people like, well, what does your partner, like, what does your partner say about your body? You know, how does your part, how do you like to be, how do you like them to confirm for you these thoughts of like, they're clearly attracted to you, you know, they're with you, they want to have sex with you. So with when you're struggling with your body image, like how do you know that your partner loves your body? 
Will that be helpful? And the answer here is like, I don't even want to know. Right. I don't, I am not willing to take that risk right now. And again, that would be another question of, okay, let's go deeper. It's therapy is onion peeling 101. (laughs) And so whatever, whatever you think the issue is, and oftentimes the issue the client thinks it is, because most of them aren't even aware of how many layers they have. And so it's a learning experience for both of us. It is, it's a journey. And I, I always tell people, I truly believe that all of my clients know what is best for them. I don't know what's best for them. I don't live their lives. My job as the therapist is to help me or is to help them get anxiety, to get trauma out of the way so they can quiet themselves and hear, what do I need? What do I want? Because most people haven't even allowed themselves to get to that place yet. Or think that they deserve it. That's another thing that comes up so much is that I don't deserve pleasure. Whether they say that explicitly or not, it's implied. Most of the time it's implied that like, and we're taught that, right? Like through, and we'll get into porn right now. Cause like it's, we've been dancing around it too. Is it, Porn is often the way that people learn how to have sex or what sex looks like. And in porn, it, you know, especially not ethical porn or just like mainstream porn, it tends to be, um, well, there's lots of things that are, we could pick apart, but it's often like, really focused on the male erection as the point where, you know, sex starts. And it's really focused on like the women are pleasing the men. So it's heteronormative. It is generally cisgendered. It's um, generally these, you know, very fit people having sex. Labias look or vulvas look very tight, um, like a tiny little clam. Um, They're generally hairless. Uh, They're the same color as the skin color. So there's lots of things to pick apart with porn. And as we begin to think of our own sex lives, pleasure is often absent in porn. So it's not a surprise when we have, especially women who are having sex with men and women sometimes, but mostly men where the orgasm gap is wild. It's like 95% of the men who have sex with women have an orgasm. 66% of women who have sex with men have an orgasm. It's a huge gap. I think a big part of that is they don't even believe that their pleasure is part of this equation, that they should just be pleasing and getting the man to come. Yep. And I also want to obviously point out that for, you know, after everything that occurred on Friday for a large percent of the population now who has the uterus, there is a lot of fear of what could this sex lead to. And so when we look at porn and one of the ways I like to really approach it with people is, is this something that is again, like you said, realistic. So let's break it down. What's happening in this. Um, How many times have you, and this is just as a sex educator, I click on random porn sites and then you see stepdad strangles stepdaughter. And then it's like woman takes 10, this and that someone it's, it can be really graphic. It can be really violent. Um, and again, I, one of the most powerful things, and I can't recall if this was something that was in our SAR training or if it was a different training that I heard this in where they said, are you, um, how, what is porn like for you? Can you just go on there and find it? Or are you one of the subcategories of fetishes? 
because for often, you know, black women, for Asian women, for indigenous women, for a lot for of transgender women, for transgender women, mm-hmm. for a lot of trans men, there are for a lot of non-binary people, there are so many different ways people are fetishized on top of that. And when, you know, when we start this really young and you go into this going, okay, this must be normal because my school didn't teach me this. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I grew up in Midwest rural Ohio. I graduated with 32 people from my high school class. My sex education at a public high school consisted of being shown pictures of genitals with different various STIs and STDs. Um, And then we were, and I wish I had got it because I saw it at my mom's this last weekend. We were made to sign what was called the virginity card or the virginity pledge, which said in a public school, in a public high school. I did not go to a private school. This is a public school. And again, this, what year was that? 2000s? Yeah, I graduated in 14. So that probably would have been around 10. Um, One of the things that I found during a lot of my research is I think I want to say the shift occurred somewhere around the mid 90s. Prior to that point, sex education in public high schools was required to have anatomically correct information. So penis, vagina, clitoris, foreskin, for some reason beyond my comprehension, people decided that was not appropriate. And so since that point, everything is collectively referred to as the genitals. And when they, it's like a band. Exactly. (laughs) And I hear, um, I see clients of the age range. I usually go from is 13 and up. And so I have younger clients of mine sharing with me, like, yeah, when I did my sex ed literally last year, they moved everyone who was, you know, a boy over here. They moved all the girls over here. And they made us watch the ones for us. They never learned about the other. They didn't learn about anyone else's anatomy. And so, you know, when you hear stories of people saying, I didn't know women had two different holes. Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, is it really that person's fault? Or do we have an education system that has been letting us down for a really long time? Yeah, it's definitely the second one. I mean, what is it? So I I think I did mine. I graduated in 2005. So I must have done sex ed in 2000, like around eighth grade. And what is it with the like extensive genital warts? Like they all have the same picture. And, you know, anyone who has an STI, usually there's an indication that something is wrong and you treat it right away. Like the fact that they had in my sex ed, a vagina that just had so many genital warts. It looked like it was just covering the whole thing. I'm like, okay, that seems a little extreme now that I know a little bit more about, you know, STIs in general, like it would take a little while to get to that point. Like it doesn't just flare up like that. Um, as far as I know. And, uh, I just, the scare tactics that are involved in it, you know, this, the idea that you had to sign a virginity pledge, which is wild to me that, that in 2010 that was happening. I mean, it's so unregulated. Right. And so, and you know, what I hear, what I hear from teachers here in Hawaii is I don't even want to teach this. There's too much controversy around this topic. And I hate fielding questions from the parents and on a subject that I was not prepared to teach, you know? So when, as I'm getting my sex educator certification, they're like, please come in and teach about this. We would love to have you come in and teach about this because they value the education. It's just, they don't have the preparedness. So I don't necessarily blame the teachers either because in reality, 
adults in our society are still grappling with the stereotypes, biases, fear, and shame that our young people are. This does not go away when one gets married, when one becomes a quote-unquote adult. This shit stays with you for life. The unlearning that I see older folks doing of their bodies is wild to me. Everything, it makes me so sad how accurate all of that is because when there are, again, when there are teenagers who I see, which again, um, every therapist out there will say the same thing. I have the coolest clients, but I have the coolest clients. Um, <laughs> and so I Carrie's got some, the coolest one. I have the coolest clients and they are brilliant. And when some of my teenagers who are 16, 17 have the knowledge that a lot, some of my clients that are, you know, getting close to 40 have, because it wasn't the schooling, it was them going online. And that's another discussion for another day Mm -hmm. when it comes to internet stuff. But we are so programmed to be ashamed about it that no one wants to talk about it. Teachers are afraid to get their heads bitten off because, oh, I have to pull this up because I, I won't go too long. I just got to have a mini soapbox moment currently. And this is as of 2022, only 18 states require sex education in public schools to be medically accurate. What does that mean? Like, that means that in 32 states in the District of Columbia, sex education material does not have to be medically correct. That means a, you know, an education system that is still public if the state feels that that is something that the youth don't need to know about, they don't have to teach them. They, there's no regulation saying you have to teach kids the proper terms for their bodies. Nope. If you feel that, well, if I teach someone about their body, they're going to have sex. So I can't do that. Well, you didn't just prevent that person from having sex, prevented that person from having safe sex. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to do it shamefully and feel like there's something they have to hide about themselves. Yeah. So I think all this conversation to be said is like when you have clients or people that are listening right now, that when you get into a situation, even with a loved one who you trust, there is so much that you're up against. You got body image issues. You got a lack of understanding about your body. You have internalized shame around it because we don't even talk about it as a society. We just, we just like pretend or like believe that people are just going to figure it out, but yet don't like because people have been so shamed about it, even going to medical professionals, I've known so many women that struggle to even have gynecological appointments that struggle to ask, ask very important, relevant questions to their medical provider who specializes in gynecology. That makes me so angry and so sad. And these are the people, the therapists and the doctors that, you know, you should be as open as possible with to get the help that you need. Yes. And I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because even as therapists, a lot of people are not comfortable talking about sex. And I, I wholly believe that's because that's not really something you're taught with that's talked about in your schooling. Um, as you know, sex therapy is a very specialized area. So you do want to make sure you have training on this and you know what you're doing before you dive in. If you are not trauma-informed, if you are not sex-educated through a credentialed um, educating body, you could really cause a lot of lasting damage and hurt someone. And I have had 
again, horror stories shared to me where people have said that, um, you know, someone, they went to share something that was bothering them and their therapist went, oh, no, 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 don't talk to me about that. They were like, wait, what? Like, no, we don't, I don't talk about that. Can you talk about that with your doctor? Well, their doctor didn't want to talk about it either. And I would say in that case, if you have experienced that, we want to just, both of us want to empower you to find a new doctor and find a new therapist. And if there's a way, I don't know if you know of ways to like report dangerous therapists, but maybe do that too. Oh yeah. Um, I have reported a number of psychiatrists and therapists this year, actually to the Ohio board, because I am very tired of my clients having horrible traumatic experiences at the hands of people who are supposed to be safe and protecting them. And it's, it's sad. And so I, I never want to be the person who, let's say we have someone come in who's a 23 year old individual who has a penis and they tell me, Carrie, I'm experiencing erectile dysfunction. If I go, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't know what to tell you about that. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that. That person is never bringing that up again because I, the person that they were supposed to be able to tell everything to just freaked out and made their body feel like it's something to be ashamed about. Whereas if they say that to someone who at least has a little bit of base knowledge, um, my first go-to is always, have you spoken to your medical provider about this? Is this something that maybe we need to get a medical rule out first? And so that is always number one, please talk to your physician, get a second, get a third opinion, get a fourth opinion, Get whatever you need to be sure. I'm confident I was listened to. My concerns were heard and this is not medically related. Then we can look into, all right, let's look at the environment. Let's look at your stress, look at trauma. And again, it's not the sexy stuff. It's not the fun. Let's take the BDSM test because that's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. homework assignments. It is, let's figure out what made sex terrifying. Mm -hmm. So... Going back to arousal non-concordance, when you have someone who, and we're talking about like partnered relationships, right? When you have someone who there's a difference in sexual desire, it often comes down to you're either not stimulating the nerves correctly to get them sexually excited, or there's something going on in the mental response that is stopping them from moving forward. What are some successful examples or uh, successful exercises you've done with folks that can help them get through this, these tough issues other than talking to their partners about things that are bothering them? Like what are some more exercises? So first thing I think, I think I forgot to say this earlier. Um, There is, research that uh, they have found. And so I do want to make it clear that right now, a lot of sex research is based on a binary idea of gender. And so I, when I say these things um, in a lot of literature, they specifically say, man, woman, I prefer to use the term individuals with a penis or individuals with a vagina, because um, a lot of times it does have, uh, sorry, has biological factors um, impacting it. And so If you are born with a penis, what they found is there is a 50-50 overlap between sexual relevance and sexual arousal. So what that means is only 50% of the time the person is into it. That means the other half of the time 
their body is responding and their brain isn't there or their brain's there and their body isn't doing what they're asking. For individuals with a vagina. Wait, real quick. So for a male, someone who identifies as male or someone with a penis, Mm -hmm. you're saying that only, so say they have an erection. 50% of the time that an erection happens, they're also mentally thinking to themselves, I'm super into this sex. Yep. Dude, that totally makes sense because sometimes my husband will get aroused at the most weird, ridiculous times. It's just really interesting to me because I've never understood that. Like, I feel like oftentimes when I get wet, I mean, again, it's not as, it's not as um, noticeable, right? As a penis getting erect. Right. But it could be in strange situations. Um, You know, we see that with sexual violence, like someone who's raped could experience an orgasm, could experience getting wet. And they're like, well, how? And then that causes them to question, like, was this really trauma if my body reacted in a way that I didn't think it would react? One thing before I, which I guess I do, I'll give that statistic for individuals with a vagina that is all that overlap is 10%. Oh, wow. So that means 90% of the time the individual is mentally not present, but they're physically responding or they are physically, or, you know, they're mentally responding, but physically not there. Um, Mm. But one thing I want to make sure is very clear, just in case there is anyone out there who is a survivor of sexual violence, who experienced something where their body responded and they couldn't figure out what was going on. That does not mean you consented. That does not mean you enjoyed it. That does not mean you liked it. You had every right to still say no. I know that there are people out there who will try to use that against you and try to justify what they're doing. That does not justify what happened. Yeah. It was not you. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. It, um, it is amazing to me that there's a 50% overlap with men. So between sexual relevance and sexual enjoyment. And for those with a vagina, it's 10%. 10%. What? And that is for healthy adults who reported having little to no sexual concerns. So I think, think those percentages are for people with trauma, which is everyone. I know. These people like I know. I think that is a really freeing statistic. I know for myself personally, because although I love sex, I don't, I don't have like a wild and wild sex life. Although once we were in the SAR, I was like, okay, I guess I'm kinkier than I thought I was, you know, uh, because again, like porn teaches us what kink is and, um, or at least, and that's not always accurate, but I've always blamed myself for having a lower sex drive than my husband. My husband can get erect at the drop of a hat. Like he, or at least up until now, it seems like it, right? If I even give him the slightest indication I'm into it, it's like, oh yeah, it's on. And it's, um, and I've always thought to myself, like, why can't I be like that? I always tell myself like, God, I just wish I could be like him. Um, which there's a lot of blame in that. Like I can't, or I should be this way, or why am I not like this? Instead of knowing the statistic, that's like, this is actually a very common experience for a lot of female identified folks is that 10% of the time you not only have a physical sensation of I'm erotically aroused physically, but also connecting at the same time with mentally 
what do we do with that information? Exactly what you said first, which is tell yourself, oh, I'm normal because mm-hmm. you are. And guess what? All of us, all of our normal, which I hate that word, but whatever our resting state is, where when we're healthy, what our sex drive is, is going to vary from person to person. And so there are a lot of things that go into impacting that. And it's first just telling yourself, I am not broken. I'm not. My body is fine. Maybe it's telling me something that I've been ignoring for a long time. And I think one of the reasons that we see more shame is that even in a lot of other areas of medicine, you know, male is the predominant like sex that they're going to study off of. And so a lot of medical studies typically use research that has been done only on male participants. And so what if what if women were the primary gender? What if instead of telling women you need to get your arousal up, what if we were the primary and we were selling men pills on how to calm down? Doesn't that sound weird? Mm. And it all just depends on what, what sex was the one that we based all of our medical stuff off of. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, in it, you know, outside of medication, there are practices to get your, get your mental state or get your physical state, your nerve endings aroused that we can focus energy on to get to that point where we're like, okay, now I'm enthusiastically consenting and and excited to be here. So what have been some exercises that you've had clients do to come together and, and find that state where the two of them are both, you know, nervous systems are aroused and they're mentally into it. And same with the partner and that both are like in their heads and their bodies excited to be there. One thing, and it can be, it doesn't really matter how long you've been together, any length, you know, you can experience it at five years. You can feel it at 20. You can feel it at 15. It is normal to feel stale in your sex life. We as humans are, we have a part of our brain that does that on purpose, because if not, we would all still be sitting in a cave masturbating all day. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have to have that diminishment of reward or else we would never get anything done. And the way that you challenge that is to reconnect with yourself first and go, okay, what is it that I like? Maybe it's taking, you know, I will happily send you the link. That way you can put it in the show notes. If you'd like a BDSM mm-hmm. test, it's free. Maybe it is, okay, maybe I will explore some porn. I like, maybe it will just be me sitting in front of the mirror with my legs spread, looking at my penis, looking at my vagina, looking at whatever combination of parts you have and just looking at it and going, because I don't know what, I guess one of the most interesting things I ask my clients is they go, oh, that's so gross. And I go, why does that gross you out? And that's, that's usually a big wake up call for people of, oh, like I've been taught to think of an entire body part as disgusting and gross and that I, I don't touch it. I don't look at it. And even now as adults, like we, a lot of people don't want to look at their own bodies naked. Of course, why, how could I ever expect someone to be comfortable with another person when their head is screaming at them that they're not good enough every time they try? Yeah. So I would say what makes me feel good when I think about it you know, cause it, I really struggled after having a baby with like feeling like my body was, was a sexual entity uh, with exhaustion just in general with postpartum depression. I mean, 
I, I made sex work, but I did not get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And what I, what came up over and over in therapy was I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone. I'm touched all the time. I have to be, give people attention all the time. And because I'm in a helping profession from the moment I get, you know, the moment I wake up, I'm taking care of a baby with my husband, of course, but still focus on getting this baby out of the house, dropping him off, get 20 minutes of relief as I drive to Starbucks, get my dark roast, sit in the coffee, you know, sit in the parking lot, drink my dark roast with my heavy cream and think to myself, like, this is the best part of my day. Because after that, then it was just like empath, show up empathetically, do my emails, have my meetings with clients, then immediately go pick up my son, go to dinner. Well, you know, make dinner. And then as soon as he went to bed, my, my husband's like, I need you to like interact with me. And I'm like, okay. So I get 20 minutes in the morning, you know, to like be by myself. And that realization in therapy was so important because it allowed me to tell my husband, like, so what I talked about in therapy today, it gave me the realization that I needed some alone time. And he's like, okay, go get a hotel room. And I was like, really? And, you know, cause again, we have a great partnership. He was like, go, you want the weekend? Go, I got the baby. And so I was like, holy shit. And so I had two days of not talking at all. I'm not doing anything, but whatever it was that I wanted. And so whether one, you know, and that's just one example of dive of really kind of processing what it is that brings you pleasure or joy. What is pleasurable for me or reconnecting with myself and what that looks like for me is going to be different than every listener who's on here now. And I love how, I love how raw and real you are with people. And again, just making sure people know sex in general is going to be a learning experience. It's going to be Mm -hmm. something that changes and grows as you do. And I would say the two other things I would recommend of like, I guess, exercises or things you can do is anticipation building. Mm -hmm. When you tell someone you can't touch it, you really want to touch it. And so one of the things I, I can't remember which sex therapy book it was in one of the exercises I will have uh, couples do is, Start with taking off the level of clothing that you feel comfortable with um, a little bit more every day. So maybe the first day, all you, some people will literally take off a sock and they don't want to take off anything else. That's Mm -hmm. fine. And then they lay in bed together and I want them to just talk about their days. I want them, and this is the part everyone hates. I want them to feel their feelings, not think them, not rationalize them. I don't want either person to fix it. I want you to listen and go, wow, that sounds really hard. That sounds like you're probably exhausted. And the rule is you can do everything but sexual contact. So you can give massages, you can cuddle, you can kiss, but you can't do anything else. And every day, remove more clothing and more clothing and more clothing until you're completely naked. And then even then, you have to give me two days of completely nude. You can't do anything. And watch how irresistible that person is to you. Mm-hmm. Watch how irresistible that person is to you when for weeks you let yourself get emotionally vulnerable and made yourself wait. And then just were like, oh, that was pretty nice. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've seen that in like sensate touching 
you know, where you remove, get to the part where you're removing clothing and then you just touch the body parts without sexual touching. So you're not touching genitalia, no breasts, no penis, no testicles, no vagina, no anus, no nothing. You're just touching each other's bodies. And what's so wild is that recently, um, we were, you know, like we've been together 12 years and you said earlier, like experimentation and trying to have fun with it, getting a little silly, getting, opening your mind a little bit. Yeah. We've been experiencing with that. And so I'm like, well, let's start with like a massage, you know? And what I learned was that there's a part of my upper back that like that sexual relevance that you were talking about where it tingles. I was like, holy shit. There's like, I've literally never had that touched or at least haven't in a long time. And so now it's like, I immediately know that that part of my body, when it's touched in the way like kissed or fondled or stroked or whatever, immediately sends the signals to my brain, like, oh, it's on, which then my brain's like, yeah, girl, let's do this, you know? And that wouldn't have happened if we didn't take the time to explore each other's bodies as if we were brand new, you know? Cause we had been having sex for 13, 12, 13 years, we thought we knew everything about our, our sex lives and, and what gets us to come and what excites us, but we really don't. Um, I think that was a beautiful revelation and ex, um, exercises like this can give kind of that spark to someone who might be feeling like, okay, seven year itch, like things have kind of died down in the bedroom. Yes. And it's oftentimes what I find is it's not some big giant drastic event that makes people not want to have sex. There obviously for some people there's infidelity, there is trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I think most people are, are kind of surprised by, but also not shocked at all by is the thought of for most people it's death by paper cut for most people. It's my God, why can't you just throw your laundry in the laundry hamper? Not Mm -hmm. on the floor. I asked you to please do that. Like, I asked you to please help me with the dishes. I asked you to, you know, please pick up this to please do this. And at some point you get so tired and yeah, it's not a big, not a big deal. It's just the laundry. It's just the, this, but you are tired because every day you got a paper cut. And after, you know, sometime one day you look at yourself and go, wow, there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. I am one big scar and that really hurts because now you have to one recognize, Oh, I need to tell this person they're hurting me. I don't even know if they realize it or not. And that's scary. Do you uh, host couples or do you just do individual? I, I primarily do individual since I am more the trauma aspect. I will happily, as I always tell my clients, you can bring guests in if you want, as long as I know they are safe in this room. Um, I always have the disclaimer, if I can feel that you are getting upset or you're starting to get really uncomfortable, I will look at your guests and say, I need you to step out. Mm. And I've done that to partners. I've done that to parents. I've done that to siblings. They don't like it very much, but I go, yeah, no, um, you don't get to make my client feel unsafe in their safe space out the door you go, Mm -hmm. but I will more than happily do even trauma education. And so for those who may be survivors of sexual violence. Again, it's going to be a long, gentle progression. You know, plants don't, you don't plant a seed and it doesn't explode into a beautiful flower overnight. It takes a long time and a lot of energy 
that can be very draining. It can be really frustrating for both members because one person's going, we haven't had sex in months. And this person's going, yeah, but my brain feels like it's on fire. And so having those conversations, being able to have the partner come in. And so I can do a little bit of trauma education and go, are there ways that we can slowly integrate, like you said, not even sexual contact, but physical contact in a way that helps this person feel safe? Um, because that safety is going to be your number one priority, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not just physical safety, it's emotional safety, it's financial safety. Um I also just want to point out a random observation. We keep going back to the laundry. May you know that it's like this big thing, but and laundry represents all types of like household responsibilities, right? Especially when folks and I think we've spent a lot of time talking about like coupled folks, people that share a space together, um, because that is my own experience, and so I will often refer back to my own experience, but. I think what we've learned here is we need to invest in laundry services. <laughs> just, that too, please. <laughs> just, you're having sex troubles. Do you have a laundry service? Yes. And also, and it sounds so basic, but talk to each other. I and know. It's, if you can't, then you need to ask yourself why it's not safe. Most of the time when my clients are experiencing um, pain sex, and I want to make it clear again, Sex should never be painful. Mm-hmm. That is not normal. I think four and a half years ago, I had a gynecologist look at me and say to me, Carrie, sometimes women's bodies just hurt for no reason. And that's normal. I'm pretty sure I've had someone say that to me too. Sex <laughs> should never be painful for either party. If it is painful, again, please get a medical rule out first, get yourself cleared. And if there's still issues going on, maybe start looking into, Ooh, do I need to see if there's something mentally blocking me? Because your body isn't fighting you. It's saying, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you listening? I've given you warning signs. And then you keep making me do things I don't want to do. And so if you are with someone that is not safe for you emotionally, and when you go to have sex, you notice your body closes up. It's, it's not that something's wrong with you and, Oh, you're not in the mood. It's your body going, this person's not safe for us to be intimate with. Why, why are we here? That's so incredibly important. And I would say again, like whether you see someone individually or as a couple, people like Carrie, therapists or sex educators, but therapists have a much more, um, they can dive much deeper into the past trauma than say a sex educator or a sex coach are so important to help unravel and untangle what's going on in your head. You all provide the expertise, the safe space for people to let their guard down and to explore the most intimate and in many ways it feels dangerous parts of people's identities and experiences. And so again, I'm just so grateful that you're here sharing your wisdom with our community. As we close We've covered a lot of topics. Is there anything more that you can think of that would be good to share with our audience about trauma, about sexual healing? Um, I do want to make sure I bring up the haunted house analogy for kinks because oh yes, um, this is one that came to me in the middle of our class. I made it up on the spot. And so what 
has really helped me as a uh, as a mental health professional who's been trying to help people really get rid of that shame is using this analogy because again, a lot of times people want to jump to the kinky fun things prior to doing the trauma work. And it's really hard to slow someone down and be like, Hey, we, we got to do some hard work first, but how I use the idea of, you know, how kinky are you? How much, how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to, you know, experiment a little bit comes down to this idea of no one goes to a haunted house to read, to meet, real monsters to meet real ghosts. You go to be scared in a controlled, but safe environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I think of kinks is how scary of a haunted house can I go to, but I still feel safe. How kinky can I get, but still know, Oh, I'm not in danger. Mm -hmm. I am okay. I am in control. And the biggest factors those come down to are number one, trust of yourself. Do you know your own boundaries? Do you trust yourself enough to say, stop it. I don't like that. Or please don't do that if you don't like it. Cause a lot of people cannot get past that step for most people. If they don't like something, they would rather, like you said, they're going to grit their teeth. They're going to squeeze their eyes, try to get through it. It's okay to say, please don't do that. I'm not a big fan of that. How about you try this instead? Mm-hmm. Um, number two is trust of your partner. Does your partner respect those boundaries? And do you know that your partner will also tell you, Hey, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. And will you and your partner both respect that? Because again, if you're expecting this from your partner, but when they tell you, you get really mad, that's not fair. That's, that's not fair. And then of course, the third thing is going to be biology environment. So trauma, past sex experiences, porn, pain tolerance. Um, some people like to go to those haunted houses that are in like big cities where they like touch you and they freaking like torture you almost. And you have to sign a waiver to go to them. Mm-hmm. Some people go to the little haunted cornfield that I went to that was not far from my house growing up. Some people hate scary stuff. Mm-hmm. All of those people are valid. It's just, are you with someone who matches that? Cause if you are someone who hates anything scary and you're with someone who would live in Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. will there ever be a middle ground or are we, not sexually compatible. And that can be a really hard conversation too. That's so good that you bring that up because I guess when you say like a scary haunted house, I almost think excitement, right? Because when we say words like kink, people are like, oh, well, I'm not kinky. You know, I'm, I like my vanilla sex, which vanilla is a delicious ice cream and it always gets equated with boring, but I think it's quite complex. Anyway, I digress. Kinky, when you take something like a BDSM kink, uh, assessment, which I recommend for anyone listening to this, that you look that up. So I think the one that you use, is it, what is the website for it? Um, BDSMtest.org. It's very easy. Perfect. BDSMtest.org. It's free. Take it because what I, I know when I took it or when we took it for class, it really shows that like I mentioned earlier, I was much kinkier than I thought. In my mind, kinky is like, on a really far end of a spectrum when in reality sexuality is a spectrum right and the way that we operate on it is a spectrum and so what you're talking about is there might be some people that are on one end of the spectrum of like i'm just dipping my toe in sexuality and sexual expression and what is bringing me pleasure and so what we're asking you to do is to you know with the concept of the haunted house 
is that you're ex- that you're open, that you trust yourself, that you trust the person that you're with, that you're cognizant of that trust and how you're feeling throughout. But start to like have the fun, try and have fun when you're doing this and bring an open mind and a curiosity to try new things. And especially if you're trying to heal or you're trying to uh, spice things up. I mean, it can be used in a variety of capacities that this is a really wonderful exercise and a way to think about taking calculated risks in a safe environment to excite you and see what brings you pleasure and joy. Yes. And of course, if your house is actually haunted, probably means that we should deal with that first. It's it's exorcism time. <laughs> there, there should not be actual danger in your house. If there is actual danger, you are not somewhere safe. Your mm-hmm. safety is always the priority. I don't care whose feelings you hurt. If you do not feel safe, that, that, that needs to be the top priority. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the last thing I would probably end on is just, again, that idea of how you are today in this present moment is valid and deserving of love. But if you are not feeling that, if when I say that you're like, eh, that's a nice thought, but not, I'm not really prescribing to that. Ask yourself why and let yourself go there because it may mean, as Sarah said, it may mean going through some really intense re-education and looking at, wow, what I learned wasn't accurate. It may be pulling apart family no family trauma history and looking at your own, wow, how does this impact things? Looking at stress, looking at, oh, do I need to communicate my emotions with my partner more? Do I need to be more attentive to my own needs? Let yourself be honest, let yourself explore, but don't, don't feel pressure to jump right into the physical aspect if you are not mentally there. Oh, I love it. Well, how do people connect with you, Carrie? Um, Honestly, the only thing I have right now is on Instagram. I have my little Instagram feed or thing that's called a new leaf, uh, a new leaf therapy. Mm-hmm. And so my end goal is someday I would love to open my own uh, practice that is half therapy practice, half greenhouse, because I never feel happier than when I am surrounded by my plants and when I'm outdoors and in nature. And so I would love to give all of my clients the opportunity to choose for the day. Do you want to sit in the office or do you want to walk around and get your hands in some dirt and do something oh my gosh I had no idea and I love it because don't you have a farm well yes so I I grew up on a dairy farm and then now I have oh god it's like a zoo and so I've got three dogs three cats currently five raccoons running around the backyard five chickens um I sent you the one picture I had a random chipmunk that kept throwing itself at me and so i I always tell my clients and I tell my friends, I didn't ask to be mother nature. It just started happening and I had to roll with it. Well, I love that you're incorporating both therapy and your natural inclination to be a caregiver of nature and of animals. I think that is such a unique concept that I haven't yet heard about where, you know, therapy can and therapeutic practices do not always have to be sitting in an office, right? I feel like taking a walk, whether it's by yourself or with a therapist, being outside, whether it's by yourself or with a therapist, can be so incredibly healing. In fact, after the Roe decision came out, um, the next day was Pride in our town. And the last thing that I wanted to do was be in the community. I My initial thought was go to the botanical gardens and be in nature. 
I think that was a deep understanding that nature can bring us healing and nature can ground us. I did end up going to Pride and it was a beautiful event because the, I guess the leader of the event had come on to speak and he said, you know, Pride was not one, it's been a tough time in the world. Um, And when we think about the origins of pride, it wasn't because our lives were easy. It was because our lives were incredibly hard and we needed a space to remind ourselves of the beauty in the world. And so I love that you are incorporating nature. I love the work that you're doing, that you have done and will continue to do. And I have no doubt whatsoever that in the future, the near future, you will be opening this utopia (laughs) for us. I am... I, again, I cannot thank you enough for this. And again, I want to thank you to um, the amazing instructors that we had during our training who gave us both some absolutely valuable information that helped not just professionally, but personally. Um, to my amazing coworkers, I work with absolutely brilliant therapists and supervisors. And of course, to my amazing clients, again, I would not be who I am today without you guys. So thank you for being the best possible clients ever and for putting up with my really weird sense of humor and my millions of pictures of animals that you guys do. I love that. And I love that earlier you had said every therapist thinks that their clients are the best. I had never thought that before. Oh yeah. My coworkers and I are constantly like, oh, I have the coolest client. I'm like, no, actually I have the coolest people. And all, at least all the people I work with are so again, they all have very unique, very interesting, like specialties. And so I'm the sex and trauma person, but when it comes to anything cultural related, I'm going to send them to Jamie. When it comes to anything, uh, couples therapy related, you know, I'm going to send them to Christy or Justin. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing that I get to be surrounded by not just amazing clients, but good, a good work environment. And I guess all I can tell everyone is the world is really dark right now. It's scary. You're not exaggerating. It's okay if you are overwhelmed. But the way I view it is if the world is dark, be a firefly in the dark. Be kind. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be anything. Just be kind. And maybe we can start a ripple effect if enough of us are doing that. And if I'm just one person, but I see like 50 plus clients for trauma therapy, if all of them are nice to one people, we can maybe do something and make this place not so dark because one firefly doesn't do much, but when there's like thousands of us, they can't ignore all of us. I love that. Well, we will end on that. Thank you again, Carrie. I appreciate you so much. This is Dr. Sarah Vogel, and I want to thank you for listening to Lady Bits and Leadership. As always, if you love this podcast, make sure to subscribe to Lady Bits and Leadership and rate and review us so that others can find our community. As the best hype women a girl could ask for, I depend on you all to help me get the word out to other folks. So if you love this episode or just the show in general, don't be shy. Share it with your friends. I would be so appreciative. If you're interested in learning more about working with me through individual or group coaching, just DM me through our Facebook group or Instagram account, both under the name Lady Bits and Leadership. Thank you for trusting me to help guide you on your journey to explore your lady bits so you can love your pussies, rediscover your power, and design a purposeful and fulfilling life. Until next week, this is Dr. Sarah Vogel signing off.